Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Well, Mike, this uh, Stanley Cup playoffs is officially going faster than I would like it to be. We're already in what I guess is the second round. We're about to start the second round. It's really the third round, but it seems like we've reached the point where like, we are no longer spoiled and we're going to get, you know, the normal couple games that we have to wait for at night and we have to stay up late for it if we want to watch it all. Like this like bountiful schedule of hockey is looks like it's over. And now I'm looking forward to like October where there's going to be nothing on and, you know, the NFL might just punt their schedule around and, and we're back to no sports and a lot of just sitting around. Are you sort of dreading uh, what's been, you know, a quick, run through of this playoffs or are you okay with uh, uh, where we're at here? Look, it's been, it has been quick, but it's also been fun. And the, but I will want to say, you know, we, we gotta, we gotta give a moment of silence to the middle of the weekday games that are now being put to rest. We have no more of those. We have one random noon start um, in the Islanders and the flyer series. But other than that, it's all normal times. It's all, at, you know, primetime games. And it's, it's a little bit of a bummer because that was such a unique, fun thing. It made me feel like, you know, March Madness or uh, when I used to, you know, stream, stream a game in the back of a lecture in, in, um, in university and, and think I'm so cool because no one else is doing that when really everyone else around <laughs> me was doing it too. So and now, cool. And now we're, yeah, I'm the coolest guy ever. And now, <laughs> and now we're just back to the normal schedules. So hockey is fun and it's great. And yes, I hope that there is not that period in October where there's just, it's just the dead zone like it was at the start of quarantine. But um, yeah, the, I think we can take solace in the fact that this is going to be a lot of fun. These now, these rounds moving forward and we're going to team up for everyone. It's going to be, it's going to be fantastic. I, I just, we still have three rounds to go, but we went from 24 teams to eight teams in like a matter of what it seems like less than three weeks. Maybe it is three weeks. Uh, but it just seems like that, you know, that smorgasbord, as you, mm-hmm. wanna, as you might want to call it, of hockey all the time, all day. Uh, those days are behind us, and it's a little bit sad, but you're right. We're going to get some unbelievable matchups in the second round. We're going to have two games a day, sometimes three. There's going to be some back-to-backs. They're jamming it all in very, very quickly. Uh, but the matchups are just tremendous. In the East, mm-hmm. we have the Islanders and Flyers and Tampa Bay Lightning and Boston Bruins in the West. We have Colorado and Dallas. And Vancouver is going to play the Vegas Golden Knights mm-hmm. in the second round. The last remaining Canadian team after they beat the Stanley Cup champion or the defending Stanley Cup champion, St. Louis Blues, in six games. It was a great, technically, first round. It's going to be an even better second round. And it, while there could be uh, maybe some better matchups in terms of how you maximize or optimize round on, uh, I can't really complain about what we've got. This has been – we didn't know what to expect back coming into these playoffs and so far from 24 teams down to eight we're left with 
some unbelievable matchups. Absolutely. We had some, you know, we're going to get the Habs in it, but we had some, some guys, uh, some teams stick around longer than we expected them to. We had some upsets. We had um, a lot of drama. I mean, there's been – the NBA has shown this a lot more where in the bubble it's, it's, it's kind of awkward to run into, you know, a guy who dropped 57 points on you at the, you know, the breakfast buffet the next morning. But these – you can tell, like, these guys really don't like each other um, in, in all of these series. And it's been, it's been so much fun. And this – we were talking about this on the last podcast, is that there were a lot of these really good teams that were just kind of coasting through the playoffs because that's kind of the – um, to this point, that's kind of the, the luxury that you get when you're, you know, a big seeded team, you're playing against a team that maybe, you know, in a normal season wouldn't have actually made the playoffs. But now we're going to see these teams pushed against the wall. Now we're going to see them challenged. Now we're going to see them have to kind of hit another gear. And that is what, at least personally, I am so excited for is these juggernaut teams actually, you know, kind of kind of taking off their jackets and going, all right, we, this is an actual fist fight. Like, let's let's go. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, uh, I think we have trimmed the fat wonderfully. Like, I don't think there's a team that as much as there were teams that probably shouldn't have been there, obviously Chicago and Montreal getting through that first round or the qualification round. We really have a strong collection of eight teams. We got basically three monsters on each side Mm -hmm. and then one underdog that has, has looked and exceeded or looked great and exceeded many expectations coming in. And I think both of them can do some damage, but in terms of teams that haven't looked good, but have gotten here sort of on the basis of a weak schedule, mm-hmm. I think that's the Philadelphia Flyers. And, yes, and, and they might have some real problems with the Islanders. But when you look at the other teams, Dallas has looked incredible the last mm-hmm. few games. Colorado and Vegas have been unbelievable. And we know what we're going to get from Tampa Bay and Boston, who probably should be playing each other in the third round, but that's okay. Um, it, no, it, it's, it's some unbelievable teams that are, that are left here, and, and the hockey is going to be fantastic. But I mentioned Philly. Uh, mm-hmm. They got past Montreal. So let's do a little deep dive on Montreal uh, before we don't speak of them until potentially January. Well, the Leafs will be playing. So we, well, they might play each other in opening night. So maybe Who they'll knows? be topical then. Mm-hmm. But uh, we should we just, just dive in on, on what we saw in Montreal, who I think they were the team that probably exceeded expectations the most in these playoffs, even in defeat, even more so than maybe the Islanders, who obviously are, are probably the team that no one expected, or few people expected to be here. No, people but expected are, are the Islanders. I guess they, yeah. I, I, I mean, the Islanders, I mean, everyone loves to sort of count them out and, and ignore them until they have to, have to you know, pay attention to them. Uh, but the Habs, I think, sort of exceeded everyone's expectations more than anyone. Uh, and that's because they gave Philadelphia a real fight. They probably deserve better than losing in six games in the series, just based on the run of play in the game or in the games. Uh, where are you at on Montreal? I know we talked about them, but like, what what do you take from this series when when looking at their six game defeat, uh, looking at their process as a whole, where they might be in in next year and maybe a couple of years down the line with some aging superstars, but some great young players coming up. Well, I want to kind of call something I said on our last podcast in a question because I said Montreal's playing with house money and they really aren't because yes, it, it's, it's such a, you know, it, it's, it's an incredible feat that they made it this far. You know, they, should, they absolutely shouldn't have even gotten past Pittsburgh because they played these two teams that loaded up at the deadline really. And, um, and took Pittsburgh, you know, pretty handily. And then they, they pushed, uh, they pushed the flyers pretty handily as well. They, they obviously ended up um, losing, but this could be, I mean, they, Montreal is in a weird spot because everyone will say, yes, they have a lot of young stars, and they do. Nick Suzuki was, was the breakout star of, of, I would say, the first round in general. Like, he was, he was fantastic. The, guy, the stones on that kid, as we were talking about with uh, Patton Carter Hart on the head, was, was fantastic. He would look great. Kakanyemi really, 
redeemed himself after you know getting sent to the AHL at the end of last season or not last season this season it just feels like last season um yeah. uh Carey Price was you know looked completely rejuvenated Jeff Petrie is still a solid he's not a young player but he's a solid you know performer they, they have Romanov um on the back end coming up they have Cole Caulfield all these guys it sounds great but at the same time this is not a team that's in a contention window right now this is a team that I think is you know, is, is best to build for the future. And they already are doing a great job of that. But how, in, but how beneficial is six games of a first round series to sacrificing a shot at, you know, a lottery pick that they had. And now like they got, they got bounced in the first round when they could have, if they, you know, if they did, and obviously you're not going to lose a game, but this is almost like a worst case scenario for them because they didn't really make any meaningful noise in the playoffs. And now they don't, now they, they, they've sacrificed their shot at a lottery pick to add another young, cheap, you know, potential superstar to this core with a, a lot of aging guys who might, you know, by the time that those players are ready to take this team for themselves might be gone. I don't know. Like this was, this was an incredibly entertaining and, and impressive series by them for sure. I was really impressed by the, by, how, what the Habs did, how they've been able to kind of dominate conversation around the league too, the fight that they showed, the, the, the amount of um, just persistence that they showed against the, a very clearly, you know, overmatched opponent. But could this be, you know, a, a, a step where it, it's sort of short-term game gain and they, they sacrifice maybe a more long-term game? I, I don't know. I, I, gain, not game. I'd like to ask you that. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of get what you're saying, but, it was only really a regrettable run if they were going to win the, the lottery, right? There's an 87% chance or 87.5% chance that this was beneficial in my opinion, because there was only a 12.5% chance that they were going to get Alexi Lafreniere. And I think what this did, if anything, was given some key players, some belief about what's going on mm -hmm. currently in Montreal, Carey Price and Shea Weber, obviously, you know, if, if if they get to the point where they're missing the playoffs repeatedly and there's no hope for them as a franchise, then it's going to be, you know, it's going to be hard for those two players to to come back and wait and be patient and continue to do what they do on a yearly basis. Or and, and what has sort of diminished recently with both of their plays sort of falling off a little bit in recent regular seasons. But they showed that they're still can be dominant players. So this gives them a little bit of something. But it also gives a player like Nick Suzuki something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he could have his breakout at the start of next season. But the fact that he had so much success on the biggest stage gives him confidence and probably some motivation and the organization some motivation moving forward. It also gives them some information on what they can do. They know what they have in Suzuki and Kotkaniemi perhaps now. And maybe that gives them the confidence to go out and trade a Druan or a Domi uh, because they can fill the holes in other ways so they were able to gain a lot of information in this short postseason run that never should have happened and I think that is beneficial obviously Lafreniere would have been more beneficial um, but what I do worry about with the with the Canadians is the fact that this might be a better postseason team than a regular season team and if they don't put it together in the regular season mm -hmm. they might never never ever get to the postseason that's a that's a big issue here they simply don't score enough yes that sort of hockey kind of works in the postseason and we've seen that in their run but if you don't score enough goals, it's going to be very difficult to, to keep that zip-tight defensive structure going for 82 games and doing it long enough to even get into the playoffs. So they've got to get some scoring into their system so that they can actually get to the point where they can actually be an effective team. I think if they bring in a couple decent 
uh, offensive players that can put up some numbers for them. Yes, you mentioned they got some guys coming up. Romanov won't be that, you know, for that. A guy like Cole Caulfield might be able to inject some of that life into them. And maybe they go out and make a trade that makes sense uh, involving a Domi or a Drew Ann. And maybe they go out and add someone in free agency and it all comes together for them where they're just able to score a little bit more, sneak into the playoffs, and then cause problems for teams like Philadelphia with their defense and goaltending. Uh, I just think, obviously, this was I, – I don't think it's a regrettable two or three weeks for the Montreal Canadiens. I think this was very beneficial for them. It gives them an idea of what they have moving forward, and now they can act on it. But it's clear they do have to act on it. they mm-hmm. got to improve this team if they're actually going to take care or take advantage of the Shea Weber carry price windows. Absolutely. But at the same time, so we talked about, you know, bringing these, these players up and these offensive uh, players up. And I'm looking at the, the, you know, the list of free agents that are set to hit, hit the market. UFAs, guys like Mike Hoffman, you know, Taylor Hall, Evgeny uh, Dadanov, Tyler Toffoli, uh, guys like that. And that's fine. But Montreal has had cap space for years. I would say the biggest um, criticism of this front office is not that, you know, they've, they've clearly been able to build a good, solid, possibly the best prospect uh, pipeline in the NHL. But they've never been able to spend the money that it's at, that's at their disposal. And they, and not, and not for lack of trying There were reports, you know, they didn't even get, they didn't even get an interview with John Tavares to try and sign him. So that was number one. They've been trying to get Matt Duchesne or Matt Duchesne type forever. Didn't work out. Um, they, uh, they were, they were in on, I believe it was uh, Jake Gardner to fill out their back end as a left shot defenseman. And he just was like, I don't want to play in Montreal. And so, there, there are some decent pieces now, but they are getting up in age and they're, and they're fraught with, you know, a little bit of uncertainty. And so, yes, it's great to have cap space. It's great to have flexibility. It's great to have good young players. But if you never use the space that you have, you never use the, the, you know, the maneuverability that you have to actually build, then what's it going to do? But at the same time, and I want to ask this as well, has this sort of semi, because yes, they didn't have playoff success. They got bounced in the first round. You can't classify that as, as success no matter what, even, yeah. if, it was, if, even if there was a play-in. Mm-hmm. But what this kind of did was show the world how promising the core of Montreal is. It really, not a lot of people, at least in, in mainstream hockey circles, maybe, you know, prospect insiders were, you know, are, are completely hot on that. That's great. great. But I think what this did is really show the hockey world, this is a really exciting young team, or this is a really exciting young core. And do we want to be added to that? Kind of like how the Leafs were able to, to draw players back now with the, with the allure of you're going to be playing with Matthews and Marner. So mm-hmm. does, this, does this sort of exposure, I guess, I don't want to call it success, but does this exposure change Montreal as a, as a free agent destination? Because they were relatively toxic in years past. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not sure how it got to that point. Uh, because if I'm, you know, I'm not like every NHL player in terms of like how I would view this, but I would love to play in a market like Montreal. I don't know why you wouldn't want to play in a market like Montreal. Not every NHL wants the spotlight. Yes, there's a lot of pressure and there's a lot of spotlight, but I can't imagine that it wouldn't be a desirable location for a strong, not a strong majority, but a strong group of players that, that just crave that sort of stuff. P.K. Subban style. I mean, he loved being there. He loved and embodied what it meant to me. But then what happened to Montreal Canadiens? And maybe that's part of the toxic culture is the mm-hmm. fact that Subban was a guy that they just basically... Ran out of town. Uh, yeah, and, and there was some betrayal there. So, mm-hmm. so maybe that's something that sort of factors in. But when you see guys like Nick Suzuki and Kotkaniemi in that back line and Carey Price and, and some, some really quality role players there, I can't see why it wouldn't be a desirable spot. But again, the salary dynamic is going to change here in the NHL. They're, if they have money, 
they're, they're, players are going to naturally gravitate toward the teams that have money. And that mm-hmm. might cause, you know, some spread of talent that just, you know, increases the parity and makes things a little bit less interesting. Uh, but it should give Montreal a chance to make, uh, to make improvements to the roster. But ultimately, I think it comes down to Bergevin. I don't think that they're just going to be able to spend their way to, uh, to, to reach a certain, you know, efficiency with their offense. I think they're going to have to make trades. I think they're going to have to do everything uh, that a GM can do to improve the roster. I don't think it's going to happen as a quick fix. I don't think even just signing Taylor Hall will make that happen. I think they have a lot more to do. But what they do have is a great player in Nick Suzuki yeah. and someone that, and someone that players will want to play for. It's not often that you you trade your captain. We haven't seen it that many times. We've seen the Leafs do it recently, but we haven't seen many teams actually trade their captain and have success with it. And especially when it's sort of a lottery ticket that you're sending them out for. Yeah. Like we've seen Mike Richards traded for just other high quality players in the past, but this was, you know, this was a group of futures for the captain of the franchise, the captain of the Montreal Canadians. This kid has so much pressure and so, so such big shoes to fill and he's stepped up in an incredible way. And he looks like he's going to be a star for this franchise. So uh, that you have to give full marks and full credit to Bergevin for making that trade because that was as dangerous as it could possibly get. Trading your captain for futures, but land or nailing that future because Nick Suzuki is a hell of a player. And both teams kind of came out really well in, in that trade. Patch Reddy's oh, been yeah. great for Vegas and Suzuki's been great for the Habs. And he was the, the focal point of that. Um, so of those, of, of the free agent list, I have, like, I'll, I'll name some of the top, you know, offensive uh, players on, on free agency. You know, let's say you're Mark Bergevin. Get that French accent going. Get the guns out. You're Mark Bergevin right now. Who would you get? Because we Over got two on that. <laughs> oh, come on, man. You got, you got the gun show. You got to have a permit to bring those things in the office when we get them back. Um, we got well, Mike Hoffman. Now. Yeah, I know. It's a shame. We got Mike Hoffman, <laughs> Taylor Hall, uh, Genny Dadnov, Tyler Toffoli, Tyler Ennis, Carl Soderberg, um, uh, Derek Broussard, uh, Vladislav Nemesnikov, even a guy like Joe Thornton, Craig Smith, Michael Grant. Like, who of those names would you kind of try and target if you're a Bergevin, trying to round out the offense, give it a little more punch? I mean, I mean, Mike Hoffman feels very Habs, doesn't he? He, he, he feels. I'm so glad you said feels that. Feels Habs. Uh, I, I can don't think see that him would, in a jersey I, right now. I, I think. I, yeah, I can too. I think he would give them a dynamic that clearly lack because Mike Hoffman is a is a brilliant finisher. But I also cannot see him in Claude Julien really striking a uh, beautiful chemistry. I don't know if that necessarily will work. But let's be honest: all teams, including teams that want to win in that certain way, where everyone's going to be, you know, uh, staying within their structure diligently. Mm-hmm. Uh, all teams need different parts. All teams need guys that can do different things. And Mike Hoffman does something that uh, pretty much no one else on the Habs does. So I think he would add a, a, a element that they severely lack. And obviously that element is mainly goal scoring. Uh, but again, I don't think they should go out and try and fix this entire thing with just uh, free agent addition, additions. I think there's 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 an option there, and there's guys that they should definitely explore. And I think Taylor Hall is among them. Um, but I, I think they should be looking at try to trying to optimize their roster by trimming some of the fat or trimming some of the of uh, the talent that is not working within, I guess, their expectations and and fulfilling their own expectations. Frankly, so, who would so you who, who would you then? be looking for? Okay, I mean, well, I think. I, Ty Domi and or Ty Domi, Ty Max Domi, Domi and uh, and Jonathan Drouin are the first guys that come to mind because is if there's anyone that's underperforming, it's those two. And when you look at Nick Suzuki and Kod Kanyemi and what they were they were able to do in the series and what Shea Weber and Ben Sherrod and Carey Price were able to do in the series, I don't think they pulled their weight 
to the same degree as as the other important players on the roster. No, for sure. At the same time, like Domi's Domi's an RFA coming up um, in this offseason. and but Drew and, like you can't you can't trade him. Like he's he's not good. Uh, he he's mm. he's consistently they got him. It's funny hearkening back to that trade, which has just worked out so terribly. They got uh, the Sergeyev for Drew trade. They got Drew to be their number one center. They even though he's never done that, they're like we're getting him. We're going to transition the center, and we're going to he's going to be that guy. He's French. He's great. And they gave him five point five million dollars a year. And right now he he has nothing. Like I I don't I can't see with cash strapped teams uh, and a flat cap around the league. How do you trade a contract like that? Like I I don't get it. And Max Zomi as well. Like I don't think he's he's performed as poorly as other people have said and he's been linked to Pittsburgh um recently I think that Elliot Friedman was talking about that um but yeah like I, I don't know in terms of in terms of uh, of of moving guys out I mean there is a lot of fat on the roster from those years where where Bergevin went out and decided to get a bunch of fourth liners slow fourth liners to to lock things in I mean there's guys coming off the books like Dale Weiss is coming off the books um and you know he's a guy who I'm, I'm shocked they had in the first place but whatever uh, you know, Thomas Tatar is locked in for next season, which is great. Um, and then in terms of like defensemen, like the only guy who's coming up is Christian Follin. He's 29. Like, so they, they're relatively locked in there. But in terms of who to get, I mean, like you said, Mike Hoffman is, he screams Habs. Like, like when I, when I think of him, I can picture him with a Habs jersey on already. I can pick like, it, it's great. And, and he's, he'll be, you know, a, a terrific 30 goal scorer or, you know, 25 to 30 goal scorer, which is exactly kind of what they need. In terms of, of signing guys like Taylor Hall, or uh, any other big names, I don't know. Like, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if I would give Taylor Hall – we had this conversation last podcast. I don't know if I would give Taylor Hall a ton of money. I don't know if I'd give Taylor Hall a term either, given his injury status and just the fact that he has struggled to score goals in the last little bit. Um, but at the same time, like, you need to spend, need to spend that money. You have, you have cap flexibility, and you have roster needs, and, you have, and you're, you're clearly – I think this core has also earned the ability to have some guys brought in to have some reinforcements brought in. This was this young core. So Mike Hoffman, I mean, I know this, that's a cliche answer because he's the, the highest scoring pending free agent, but get him. Like he's, if, if you have to throw some money at him, you have space, uh, do it. Yeah, I think the argument for Hall would be the fact that they might not have to pay Taylor Hall what Taylor Hall was definitely expecting to be paid. So maybe, maybe that's still uh, like what, seven, eight million. Like it's still a lot of money. I, I don't know if he's going to get that, to be honest. And and if you can do that for maybe one year and you can really push things and and see and see what you can make of uh, just you know trying to make rapid improvements based on a one year deal that has no real uh, liability built in within it i i don't know maybe that's maybe that's something that gives them that immediate injection of offense that they need but we've we've spent way too much talking about that time talking about the Habs. so let's move on to the canucks who are canada's only remaining team in the postseason Mm -hmm. uh probably a long shot to finally break that incredibly long curse uh they were a long shot to get here in the first place never count out they were, and uh, they're going to have a difficult task ahead of them. The Vegas Golden Knights, who just tore through all their competition so far, um, but but I think they're in sort of a similar spot as Montreal in that they didn't. They're not growing on a straight line trajectory from the ground up. They are trying to piece things together, um, sort of as as they go. And what they've managed to do is draft an incredibly talented young core while they've been doing that sort of without bottoming it out and without using top three selections they've been able to build an incredible young core of players and what's happened in this series 
is that the, 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 the talent around them or the utility around them has sort of brought their best game as well and matched what Vancouver's top end guys d- done. And it's been sort of lightning in a bottle in that sense, because they've been able to put it all together. The, the sort of the knock on this team is that there was, there was worry that they would never put it all together because they're not, gr- they're not building in a, in a way in which it's ground up and linear and you're, you're trying to make steps every, every season from the next season and build all the way up. Uh, they are looking at a cap crunch immediately. Before mm-hmm. these playoffs start, we've been talking, there's been rumors about Brock Besser being traded, a guy who was a Calder Trophy finalist, being just before Elias Pettersson won the Calder Trophy, being pushed out of town because they just don't have the cap space to keep everyone. And their goaltender, Jacob Markstrom, who has been yeah. brilliant in these playoffs, he could leave in free agency. So they there's sort of... There was no pressure, it seemed, on this team coming in because there was no expectations. Now that they're in this final eight, it seems like there's a lot of pressure on them to take advantage of this opportunity because there may be no more opportunities, at least with this current group or mostly as it is, because things are going to blow up a little bit on them. So how should Vancouver Canucks fans be feeling about this? Obviously, they should be elated and we saw the celebrations in the streets. But are we just going to be in 10 days from now complaining about the fact that they paid they paid players that aren't good enough to make the sort of money they're making uh are we going to be complaining about that as their downfall or is this going to continue to coming come together and that they've really have struck lightning in a bottle here and it's all going to work and they're going to go on a bit of a run here how do you feel about where the Canucks are at right now given their success in the postseason I think there are two ways to look at it. Like, number one, any, any team that has a young core with, you know, Elias Patterson, Quinn Hughes, Brock Besser, um, these, and, and they, have, they even have guys, you know, like Michael DiPietro, Thatcher Demko, who goalies don't grow linearly. They, you know, sometimes they improve, sometimes they don't. It's a voodoo position, so we don't, he's not a bust yet. And Jet Wu, guys like that, it's great. Um, and so I think that any team with a core, with a young core like that, that's clearly showing it, it's its merit right now you, you have to be excited about even if things kind of blow up in a bit you still have those foundational pieces that you can at least then kind of reshape the roster but they they did bottom out they just didn't win lotteries like they were they were a terrible team I think they had one of the lowest uh, winning percentages over the, over the last three or four seasons prior to this one in terms of regular seasons and they just ended up not winning not winning lotteries and and, yeah. and getting you know these these middle of, of you know mid top 10 picks um, and, and, and to their credit, they, a lot of them they hit on. It seems like they, met, they whiffed on um, Ole Levy, who could really help them now. Um, but yeah, at, at the same time, though, Montreal is, I think a lot of their fat is at least more, like if you look at their, their quote-unquote fat on the roster, Max Domi's a young guy. Jonathan Duren's a young guy. Yes, they're, I would say they're overpaid. Yes, they're underperforming. But at least you can get value out of them. And at least you can sell them. Like if you really had to, had to go to a general manager and say, look, Jonathan Drouin, yeah, yeah, he makes 5.5 million. Yeah, he hasn't played that well. But look at this guy's pedigree, top three pick. He's only 25. He, he performed this, this, and this a couple of seasons ago. He has some value. Give, give us something. You know, we, I, we, can, we can sell him. Vancouver's fat, though, you can't sell that. Jay Beagle, Antoine Roussel, they played great last night, both of those players. And I don't want to – I want to give them all the credit. I mean, Antoine mm-hmm. Roussel was – created the entire um i think it was the two one goal off the top two, two uh, nothing goal two, two nothing goal. goal yes his all on his own which was fantastic but then you look at the like you can't trade tyler myers you can't do there's so many of these um brandon sutter the there's so many that's why you shouldn't 
crown Jim Benning as a genius general manager yet because yes, he was able to take mid top 10 picks and parlay most of them into good players, which is great. That's kind of the baseline expectation as a scout or in a draft as an organization should do. But then he signed a lot of these bottom six guys to mid to, you know, middle to top six money. And that could be the downfall that could cost you your goal, your stability in net that could cost you, you know, potentially a really good young player who needs a new contract that could cost you the ability to go out and add an actually good um, free agent to your roster in the way that Montreal now has the ability to, to maneuver the Canucks don't. So they're really not in, in as much of the same position because Montreal, Montreal, I would say Montreal is in a better position, at least from a future standpoint. Um, clearly the Canucks are in the second round. So they're in a better position right now, but they're, they're quote unquote roster fat. You can sell it off better. And they, they have more cap space to work with. Vancouver, they have a lot of boat anchors on, a, on, a, you know, on their roster that are kind of being dragged um, into that second round right now. And when it comes to cap space, they, they're not in an adding move. They're in a how can we fit this potentially, you know, 18th or uh, potentially what, like 12th best team in the league if they get balanced in this round altogether. So it's it, this is, you're right, this is the weirdest position for them to be in because it's a, it's a miracle that they made it this far and everyone's loving the young Canucks. But if, if Cinderella's uh, you know, carriage turns back into a pumpkin at midnight, that's, it's not going to be pretty. Like we're going to see some wholesale changes. We're going to see some guys who've been Canucks for a while uh, be jettisoned or some really dis- difficult decisions being made for a team that's supposed to be on their way up. Well, it'd be really sad if Brock Besser was traded out of Vancouver and guys like Brennan Sutter, Jay Beagle, Antoine Roussel, all of them just stayed around. Like that, they weren't able to get rid of those guys. So a guy like Brock Besser, Besser had to go. But the difference between Vancouver and Montreal for my money is that Montreal's top end talent is the problem where Vancouver's yes, lower end that's true. utility talent is the problem. So there's obviously one, while you're not going to be able to get rid of Vancouver's, uh, you know, lower paying guys who are working out of the top or the bottom uh, two lines, it is hard to get top end talent. That is the yeah. hardest thing to do in the NHL. So, so Vancouver at least has that going on. Uh, so what it might end up being is that, okay, the ceiling is a little low for this team. It's not as high as it needs to be to, you know, truly have, you know, Stanley cup aspirations or, you know, going on meaningful postseason runs. They could, they could, they certainly could. Um, but it's going to be finite. It's not going to last that long because eventually the cost of winning without winning is going to happen because there's t- so much money tied up in certain players. So until you can re- recycle that roster, you're going to have some issues. And maybe that's why Vancouver ultimately fails to, uh, you know, take advantage of Quinn Hughes making you know, less than a million dollars and Elias Pettersson making le- less than a million dollars. Like the- there are some unfortunate things happening. Mm-hmm. But what we are seeing out of Vancouver right now is a team. All the parts are working right now. They've managed to uh, overcome losses of Tyler Myers and Tyler Toffoli. You can Mm -hmm. say what you want about Tyler Myers, but at least he can be a functional player at the beginning of this contract, maybe slightly overpaid, but at least he can be a a decent player, a decent player, right? Decent player right now. Mm -hmm. Like the, the, the real cost is down the line, right? He might not be even worth what he is right now. Where have I heard that before? Now, oh, we're not worried about years line, six and seven of the Tyler Myers contract. Like, where, where have I heard that before? It worked out great for the Canadian team that, that wasn't worried about the final two years of their overpriced free agent acquisitions contract. It worked out swimmingly. No, but what I'm, what I'm saying is right now is right now they've built a team. 
Yes. They've built a team that can overcome that. They've built a team that can overcome Tyler Toffoli's loss. They've built a team that can withstand something. They've built a team that can get contributions from every inch of the roster. Tyler Mott scoring two goals in games five and six. And they've got, they got eight, eight, go- eight of their last goal, eight of their last 10 goals in the series when the series was on the line came from depth contributors. And at the same time, their power play was still humming with all the big guys going. So uh, th- right now, they are in the best position possible. The problem with Vancouver is that it may not last long. So can you enjoy this while it lasts? And it might not last long because the Vegas Golden Knights are legit. But can you enjoy this moment, this run, appreciate it for what it is, and then just appreciate that you might have to build again around a brilliant core? I'm not sure what's better than the other. But right now, I know Vancouver is the only Canadian team. And we talk about Canadian teams a little bit more than other teams because we're in Canada. Mm-hmm. But they're the only Canadian team that has managed to have any reasonable amount of success in recent years. Absolutely. And look, if you're management, I don't think you can enjoy it really because you do have to start mapping out your contingency plan. And that's going to be a div. Like I, I don't envy first. Also in a cap crunch, you want to double down on your drafting. So I realized I just interrupted a point in the middle of it, but this is important. So you want to double down on your drafting. You want to double down on the ability to get in young, cheap talent. So why would you let your head scout, who is is a big part responsible for this great young core that you can build around, leave before the playoffs even began. Like Judd Brackett was the head of scouting and he, you know, was a big, was a big proponent in, in a big, he ran, he ran drafts essentially for, for um, the Canucks. And he brought in this great young core that is essentially the saving grace of your team. And they, they just let him walk now. And so heading into a cap crunch where you might have to replace some pretty, you know, decent players, you you let that guy go you let him walk to a conference rival in in minnesota so that's odd um but i think if you're management you're gonna you can't really enjoy it right now but if you're a canucks fan just ride this wave man like this is a this is a team this is a likable team this is a team um with like we said a great young core but who can who plays fun hockey that i think it was was it the three three one goal or three sorry three nothing goal where it was just the tic-tac-toe mm-hmm. gorgeous passing like and that doesn't matter, you know, uh, who might have to leave in the offseason. And it was very weird because that it, it's not even that they can't afford to bring everyone back with the Brock Besser rumors. It's that they were thinking of sh- trading Brock Besser because they want to bring Tyler to Foley back so badly, mm-hmm. which is just a mind boggling uh, dis- kind of decision. So hopefully that that's proven for Canucks fans sake, it's proven false. But if you're a Canucks fan, enjoy this, man. This is such a fun ride. You are you are quote unquote Canada's team now. And uh, Pierre, Pierre Lebrun made this, made this uh, comparison on Twitter last night where he feels like there's some 2009 Hawks in, these, in, in, in this team. And while I don't necessarily agree with that, I think that you know, those Hawks had, had a far deeper roster um, than, than the Canucks do. But you can make some noise. Vegas is, is, is a juggernaut. I don't think that the Canucks are going to stand much of a chance against them. But they can at least make it somewhat interesting. You can steal a game. Markstrom stands on his head. You can steal a game. And that's like, that's the beauty of the playoffs. Just enjoy it. You are David. They are Goliath. But there's a reason why we talk about that story is because, you know, David won. So who knows? Enjoy it. Don't worry about the future. Take it from people who've covered the Leafs for so long. Don't worry about the future all the time. Don't worry about Quinn Hughes or, or Elias Pettersson's next contracts. Just enjoy the present because if you don't, you will never be happy. And this is a time in the middle of some pretty trying times in the world where you need, you have every reason, at least when it comes to hockey, to be happy. This was the vision for Vancouver. They took Mm. shortcuts to get there, and those shortcuts are going to cost them. But this is the vision, and it's working. At least it has for two two rounds. So enjoy the vision and enjoy this team as it was meant to be created. 
Uh, I think that's all you can really say because if you if you're worried about what's going to happen in the future, I mean, every team blows up. Every team mm-hmm. uh, reaches the point where they have to make difficult decisions. It might come earlier than expected for Vancouver, but this is the team they wanted to make, and there's a reason why this is the team they wanted to make because they are exciting and they can do some damage in this postseason, even if they are a little bit overmatched uh, in the second round. A team that has been overmatched in the last few. Oh, uh, I was going to say, before we move on, can we just move real, a little bit to some blues slander, if that's okay? Yes. I, I, mean, I was really, really proud of my segue there. but Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. But <laughs> no, no, I was no, looking at the rundown. I'm like, man, I just want to go on, on some blues slander. Is it, go for it. it go for it. How do we feel about them going back to, to Jordan Bennington in an elimination game? Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. How do we feel about that, Justin? Uh, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I wrote about Jake Allen and how I thought, like, you know, you have to ride him out here because this is the only thing that makes sense at the time. Like, mm-hmm. it's I, I ultimately was the wrong decision, and it's easy to say that in retrospect, but this was also the goaltender that gave you the biggest moment your franchise has ever had and was and was the basically not solely responsible, but basically the domino that needed to fall for you to get to the point where you got last season, which was winning the Stanley Cup. So mm-hmm. It's it's an old you know trope saying you know he deserved it or or you owed that to him but I think you did in a certain respect, uh, not because you know, not because just of what he did last year, but also the fact that okay Allen opened the door Allen didn't have his best game and he opened the door back up for Bennington and and I just think that Craig Berube failed to play the right notes to mm-hmm. use a pun um, but I I can't I can't <laughs> really that. slant. I, I can't really slam him for the Bennington, uh, Bennington start, even if it was the wrong one. I don't know. Like, I, I, you look at the raw numbers. Yeah, yeah, Jake Allen opened the door, but in the exact same amount of games. Now, and again, it's, it's, it's hindsight, you know, but in the exact same amount of games. Like, Jake Allen was 2-2, uh, was two and two, and he had a 9.35 save percentage in the playoffs. But his, his actual advanced stats, his goals saved above average, 2.38, compared to Bennington's negative 9.37. His quality save percentage. So his, you know, his save percentage against quality scoring chances, 7.750. Bennington's was 200. Uh, this is, Bennington was a horrible goaltender in the playoffs. He had an 851 save percentage he ended up with after, after last night. It, I don't, I know that, you know, you turn to your, there was a lot of mind games being played here. You turn to the guy, like you said, who gave you your, your uh, you gave your team their biggest moment. But at the same time, like Jordan Bennington might be, might be the most overrated goaltender in the NHL. Maybe might be the most overrated player in the NHL. 
because yes, he won a cup, but he won a cup last year with a nine, what I think it was a nine seventeen save percentage. And yeah, that's fine. That's good. Like he, uh, it was a, uh, let me, let me actually get that number up right here. It was a, yes, it was a nine, sorry, nine fourteen. He won the cup with a nine fourteen save percentage and everyone thought that he was prime hashing. And then he finished this regular season with a nine twelve, and then, and then followed that up in the playoffs with an own five record, eight point eight five one save percentage. I mean, Yes, I know he's your guy, quote unquote, and they clearly turned to him in the moment and was like, embrace this moment, Jordan, like, do it. They think that was going to be the fire that lit, you know, that, that lit him. But Jake Allen, from a numbers perspective, he earned the right to start this game. He's been there the longest. He's been able to take a backseat to this guy who came out of nowhere and took his job. That was undoubtedly the wrong move, and it cost them. Bennington was horrible last night. It went as poorly as he possibly could have expected. And now they now after winning the Stanley Cup, they don't even make it a playoff round. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens with Jordan Bennington moving forward because he wants a new contract. You know, Jake Jake Allen, I believe he's got a couple of years. Oh no, he does. Yeah, he, he's signed they, one this offseason. Yeah, they they didn't. Uh, yeah, they didn't completely break the bank on him, which looks like which a good, good decision. Even though you mm-hmm. know maybe maybe they they jumped the gun a little bit by me, but you, you had to give him something. It seemed like at that point. Uh, it's hard not to give those, you know, rewarding legacy contracts after you win a Stanley Cup. Um, but it's interesting to see because I think they still have a good tandem. And Jake Allen is best when working out of a tandem. And maybe Jordan Bennington just needs to take a backseat from that 1A and just be a, a guy that split starts with Jake Allen. Because I do believe they have the goaltending there to make it work. But again, it is difficult to, you know, we've seen teams like Carolina run in this where it's difficult to... Uh, make the decisions based on hunches and performance and all that. It's easier to just rely on one guy who you know is going to go out there every time. Yes, you want to have two quality goaltenders, but it is easier to rely on that one guy. And maybe Jordan Bennington isn't that one guy. What's more interesting for me with St. Louis mm-hmm. is what's happening with Alex Petrangelo. Yeah. He was pretty cagey about uh, his future in the post game. Didn't reveal anything, but it didn't also appear that you know he was very confident that he was going to get something done with St. Louis. Uh, he would obviously be the most intriguing free agent if he indeed gets that far this fall. Uh, and obviously the Leafs, love, Leaf fans love talking about the possibility of adding Alex Petrangelo. Uh, we won't have that conversation now because we'll no. probably be able to save that for a later date if and when Petrangelo does test the UFA market. Um, but let's just leave it at this. Will he be back in St. Louis next year? Uh, I don't know. I mean, if there wasn't a pandemic, I'd say, I'd say probably. I mean, he seems like the kind of guy who is, would be lo- like the sort of, you know, homegrown hockey player who is loyal to the team that drafted him and he's the captain and everything. You want to cup with them. But now that, now that there is, now there's a pandemic, now there's a flat cap, now there's teams hemorrhaging money. Like you said, there, a lot of these players are going to, at least these free agents who are going to break the bank, are going to be gravitating towards cash, cash flush teams, not necessarily good things with cash flush teams, maybe on shorter term contracts. But I think that really opens, it opens the door quite a bit to where he could possibly go. I'm not saying the Leafs. I'm not even saying, you know, the Habs or whatever, but, but the blues, they aren't, you know, one of the, the dominant money-making teams in the league, at least from my knowledge. And, and given how cagey who was given the, un, you know, the underperforming of the team in, in the first round and given just how, uh, how uncertain the financial landscape is for the league that might have had made his decision easier. I, I would put, I would put my money on him not returning. And I know that's, that's a bit of a gamble, but I think that the more stability, I think there's, he can find more, at least short-term stability outside of St. Louis than he could in it. 
I think it was a respect thing before, but now you're right. Since mm. the world has changed and the salary dynamics have changed, it might be a money thing now. So now you have the respect thing, you have the money thing, and maybe that just all adds up to St. Louis not being able to retain who I think is the most important player, maybe after Ryan O'Reilly, but mm. as important a player as they had in winning their Stanley Cup, maybe that means he's gone. And that should be proof for Vancouver Canucks fans to enjoy and try and seize this moment because it doesn't last. It doesn't. It should, it should have lasted. It shouldn't have been a problem. But one misstep, you know, getting a little over-anxious and going and get Justin Falk uh, because you want to put yourself in the best position to repeat, even when it's really hard to repeat, mm -hmm. uh, it can cost you these little things. There are fine margins. It does not last. Nothing lasts forever in the NHL. That's just how it is. Uh, I don't have another segue <laughs> to Calgary, so we're just going to move on to Calgary. Sounds good. Uh, Another playoff disappointment. Yes, they got through the Winnipeg Jets, uh, but they have failed to win a seven-game series now uh, in consecutive seasons. Uh, you can jog my memory on what happened three seasons back, but all I know is that what, how they're currently configured is not working come, in the, po come the postseason. Uh, Johnny Gaudreau, Sean Monaghan, another rough first round. Yes, they've had, they had some good performances. We saw guys like Dylan Dubé, you know, sort of had their little breakout and Milan Lucic actually providing serviceable contributions for some of the series. But it goes down to the simple fact, again, that Johnny Gaudreau and Sean Monaghan, that top line didn't do enough, was outplayed by the other top line, and they didn't have enough goaltending. And Cam Talbot and David Riddick are the latest guys that shared the crease. It was mostly Cam Talbot. Uh, David Riddick was just... Terrible. <laughs> not prepared at all to come in when he did. Uh, but the same problems have come up over again, over again. So I ask you, is it time for Calgary to make significant changes? Absolutely. I mean, they haven't won a first round. They haven't won a, a playoff round since 2014-15. And they lost, in, they lost in the first round the year before. Or last year, they didn't make the playoffs the year before that. And they lost in the first round in 2016-17 as well. And this was a team that was supposed to, supposed to make some noise. This was really their kind of put up or shut up year where it was, can this core do it? Can this core move us forward? And we have our answer now. They can't. Uh, Johnny Goudreau, I have, like, uh, when you think of this core, because Matthew Duchuk was out, so you, you look at this core as Goudreau and Monaghan specifically. Goudreau had, not a lot of people are talking about this, and everyone wants to slander Marner for his terrible, you know, qualifying round, and it was terrible, but Johnny Goudreau, zero points in 10 games, or Ooh. five on five. He was only on for three Calgary goals. He had a 44% Corsi for and a 41.84% expected goals for when he was on the ice. Mm -hmm. It's hard to have a worse, worse postseason run than that. And, th and this was the time where he was supposed to prove, I am a postseason performer. I can do this. After years of disappointment, I can come in and he did the, I can come in and, and, and help carry my team as a superstar player, as a, as a foundational player on a team. And he proved the exact opposite. And I think at this point, you have, it's under three different coaches now that you have, you have a sample size of this core being unable to move forward. Now, at the same time, when you look at, it's not necessarily on, on the front end, but on the back end, they're pending, they're pending free agents. They're not all UFAs, but Brody's a UFA, Travis Hamnick's a UFA, Derek Forbert's a UFA, Gustafson's a UFA, Oliver Collington's an RFA, and, and um, uh, Mike, Michael Stone, sorry, not Mike, Michael Stone is, is a UFA as well. So there's, there's an ability, at least on the blue line, to let some guys walk and make some wholesale roster changes without having to, you know, at least on the back end, make, make those wholesale roster changes from like a fate perspective. Like fate is giving you the chance to be, to just let these guys walk in and kind of rebuild the back end or 
re-sign some of these guys and then use that to, to rebuild the front end. But I, you cannot walk this core as it is back again because they've proven time and time again, they just can't do it. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. Um, but I think it is worth noting that the last two years, at least, I think they've run into teams that are just better than them. And that obviously means you have to make improvements. Yeah. But Colorado, yes, they were an eight seed last year and they and they they knocked off the Calgary Flames who had just won the in Western Conference games, in though. terms of point in five games. But they were catching them at the wrong time. Like this is a Colorado team that was sort of hitting their stride. Like it, it, like they, they sort of announced themselves in that series and we know what they had turned into. Yes, they've added quite a few players and they've sort of solidified what is a dangerous base uh, of talent. But I think there was some... Uh, does that loss improve on paper since maybe slightly uh, but still none, nonetheless they lost to Nathan McKinnon and there's no shame in losing to Nathan McKinnon in terms of what he can do in a postseason series but this Dallas team was just better than them like it's it's not even really close mm -hmm. the amount of top end talent they have in comparison to Calgary's and and the fact that Johnny Gaudreau walked away with the series with numbers the way he did is not surprising because as much as Dallas, you know, is first, it's Tyler Sagan and Jamie Benn first, Joe Pavelski looked like the $7 million guy that he, that they decided to pay him in these playoffs so far. Dennis Gurianov looks like a superstar. This is coming Alexander, Alexander Radulov is a guy that you just forget about now, but he's still Alexander Radulov and a dynamic player and a guy that can make a difference. Like the amount, the top end Lindbergh, talent, there was just Heiskin. such a difference in the forward grouping. And on defense, it's mm -hmm. not even close. Heiskanen and Klingberg were way better than anything that Calgary can put out there, including Mark Giordano, who's a Norris Trophy winner from last season. Like, it, it, the talent discrepancy in this series was pretty significant, I thought. And that even included what happened in that. Like, Hudobin being able to come in for Ben Bishop, he had some moments in the series where he wasn't all that good. Uh, but in the end, he outplayed Calgary's, Calgary's group. So uh, I, I just think that they, ran, they, they, are not, they are not a good enough team. They just aren't. They, they you need to make they've changes. lost to teams that are better than them. So they need to make changes. Uh, but I don't think this was a disappointment, really, because wow. I just think they, they lost to a better team. Yeah, but that should be disappointing. Like, like they it, it is, but it's not like, oh, wow, we ruined our opportunity to win the Stanley Cup. They weren't going to win the Stanley Cup this year. They're not good enough. That's that's the bottom yeah. line for me. I, but I think that, that the fact that they're not good enough in this with the way that they are comprised is a disappointment. Like they, they have, yes, you know, they ran into a, a Dallas a Dallas Stars team that, you know, has more, I guess, quote-unquote, top-end talent. But their top-end talent's pretty good, too. And you should at least put up a fighting chance. Like, they, this was an embarrassing way to end the series. They're up 3-1 after the first period. And then Matthew Tuchucks, did you see his reactions in the press box? That should tell you everything you need to know about where, yeah. where this franchise is. It's your star player. He was injured, and he's losing his mind. You could tell that he, he wanted to, to, you know, jump. He wanted to parachute down from the press box and, and into that game. Um, I don't know. You, when you have a player, like everyone wants to find the next Matthew to Chuck now to, to add to their team. Um, so that's great. You have him locked in long-term, but the go like Sean Monaghan disappeared, you know, Johnny, Johnny Goudreau disappeared. You Milan Lucic, like he's, <laughs> they're paying $5.25 million or five point. Yeah. $5.25 million a year for the next one, two, three, four years. Like this is a weird, this is an incredibly weird constructed team that and when you look at like everyone can say oh yeah but they had the bruce the you know the bruce peters thing that happened in the middle of the season um so bill, you, bill. sorry bill, bill sorry bill yeah. peters thing that happened in the middle of the season and they had to adjust a new system cool so did and not 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 obviously not to the same extent as as what happened with um bill peters because he's you know a despicable person um but jim montgomery le um left the dallas stars mid midway through the season too and they had to adjust yeah. 
to a no new excuse. coach and everything. Like you, there, there just seems to be so many excuses surrounding the Calgary Flames. There's always excuses after every season. It, you know, it's this reason why we didn't. And, and, and even like, yes, we ran into, into teams that were hitting their stride. Cool. At a certain point, you need to beat those teams. And they've consistently failed to shore up their goaltending. And they've consistently failed to, and their stars have consistently failed to, you know, provide any kind of value when it really matters. It's not even that they just didn't perform as well as the Dallas Stars stars um, did. They, they, they vanished. They got Thanos snapped out of existence. I, literally, like Johnny Goudreau literally did nothing at even strength. Literally did nothing. He had zero points, and it was a complete and, – and when I mean literally, I mean like as in the definition of the term literally. He did nothing offensively. So you can't bring these guys back. You just can't. You have to – I don't know if – I don't know. He's not the problem necessarily, and we're focusing on Goudreau the most because he's the most high-profile player on the team. He's not the problem necessarily. When Johnny Goudreau, I think, is your best offensive player – it's kind of like when the Rapt with the Raptors when DeMar DeRozan was their best off- offensive player. He's a fine player in his own right, but he cannot be the guy. And I think you need to bring in someone else. Yeah, I agree. I think the only, uh, the only player that should be considered safe is Matthew Kachuk. I think he's the mm-hmm. guy that they have to build around uh, and maybe not start from scratch, but they have to look long and hard about, you know, completely uh, flipping the roster around him because I don't think it's working. And I just looked up how much Mark Giordano made just out of curiosity because this is after all a, a Leafs podcast and we've already seen, we've already talked about a captain that was traded uh, $6.75 million. He might be uh he might be exactly what the Leafs have been missing. But uh, again, I wouldn't expect that. No trade clause left shot defenseman. Ah, I'm oh, he's left. I thought he was right. Keep him. Right. Yeah. That doesn't work. Right shot. Okay. And even right and shot even Brody is a right D, but he but he shoots left. No, and and, and Brody doesn't. He's a UFA anyway, and it doesn't yeah. interest. I don't think it should interest uh, the Leafs at all. If they're going to make a, that type of huge deal, it has to uh, you know be that guy who can play with Morgan Riley and really lock down that defensive core. But we won't talk too much about the Leafs because we have news and notes to get to, and we got to leave the news and notes with uh, unfortunately with Mike Milbury, who uh, continues to irritate and not even irritate just flat out offend pretty much everyone with with his commentary and his just beliefs and his outlook on hockey in the world during this hockey bubble uh he is in toronto he's doing games he's actually inside the hotel and we saw his view of what he he thought was the space needle uh which was about the most endearing thing that he's done because everything else has been pretty much garbage uh and the latest garbage to come out of his mouth was the suggestion that players are in a better position to uh to compete for the Stanley cup and just focus in on the task at hand, because there's no women around for them to be distracted with. Uh, so obviously this, you know, was a terrible thing to say. He came under fire. NBC has uh, put the brakes on him being on the air uh, for the foreseeable future. At least I'm not sure if we've uh, got an update on where he might be for the rest of these playoffs. Uh, but it just outlines the fact that hockey needs more voices. They need to be, we need to come out of the stone age here uh, and, you know, sometimes we need some Neanderthals to make this game a little bit more exciting, but we don't need Neanderthal thinking out of our analysts, especially the ones that are at the national level and, and doing games for the, the rights holders, which should, be, which should care more about how people view the game and who's being invited to watch the game. Uh, because Mike Milbury is clearly not someone that's going to help this game push forward. Absolutely. So there's a couple things here. A, 
my, first of all, what Mike Milbury said was so wrong. So just so misguided. And it's a trend. He said earlier in these, in these bubble, in the bubble playoffs that these games remind him of uh, women's college hockey games because there's no fans. So automatically that should have taken him off the air right away, but instead they somehow kept him on. And then he goes out and says this just despicable, but also Mike Milbury is, is calling games for the NHL rights holder in the States, where I think that the league in the sport of hockey needs to grow most. So when people, when casual fans turn on a hockey game to give it a shot and they will, they hear Mike Milbury and he represents to them, maybe not where the league is, but to them where, what hockey is and how are you ever supposed to get a new generation in with a voice like that? Um, now I'm right. Like I'm writing about Milbury stuff, but it's probably, it'll probably go out today. And I was initially going to kind of frame it as here, like, here's a bunch of women who like highlighting a lot of women who can do Mike Milbury's job infinitely better than he can young, like female broadcasts you can do. And then I realized, no, that list is infinitely long. Mike Milbury is, it's funny how much the NHL hockey and specifically the NHL just does not reflect real life. Because if you are a failure at what you do, then you just, then you do not get opportunities. Mike Milbury has been an embarrassment in the three stages of his career in hockey. He is, he was an embarrassment as a player when he jumped into the stands and beat a fan with his shoe. He was an embarrassment as an executive after his playing days when he was categorically the worst general manager in league history. He, the, he is responsible for, the, like, for, I think, three out of the top five worst trades in NHL history. So he, was, he is the worst general manager in league history, at least one of them. And to think that then, it's, it, this is, and then he gets hired as an analyst. And he has been not just, let's take away for a second the offensive remarks that he, that he said I don't want to take them away, but let's just look at them without context. He is the worst analyst, hockey analyst on TV now. He doesn't break down the game well. His views are outdated to where hockey is at the moment. He is just bad on air. So when he failed at all three stops in his career, and as, a, as an executive too, it's essentially like watching someone burn down a house and then hiring them as a fire safety inspector for other houses who gets to judge how well other people keep their houses from not burning down. This is this usually when someone fails at every stage of their professional life, they do not get the chances that he does. And it's not even just the employment chances. It's the, it's the, it's the second and third chances he gets whenever he makes offensive comments or wherever he goes after players personally for no reason, or whenever he belittles an entire group of people that, that feel already feel incredibly unsafe in hockey. It's despicable. I hope he never, I hope he never gets the opportunity to call a game, to call an NHL game or a hockey game or a sports game again. An opportunity that a lot of people would kill for, and a lot of more, way more qualified people would kill for in the first place. Um, he he doesn't. He hasn't earned that right. He hasn't earned that right to be on TV. He hasn't earned that right to be a public figure anymore. And I just want to stop talking about this guy because I'm so sick of getting mad about him every time he's on my TV. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I have much to add. And if you don't want to talk about him anymore, I don't really want to waste any more breath on him Great. either. Uh, it's, uh, I hope that we don't have to hear him be involved in the, in the playoffs any longer. There is so many more capable people that are employed by NBC and so many more capable people that could come off the street or out of their homes and, and put a mic on and, and do a better job uh, providing analysis to the game that we love that continues to let us down. Uh, with its commentary and with its general view on 
or, or, or what it seems to project uh, over, over and over and over again. So we'll leave it at that and move on to, let's do one more news and notes just because we're, we're short on time sure. and we want to get to the round two predictions and analysis that we're going to close the show with. So uh, I think we should go with Peter DeBoer's. Yeah. Peter DeBoer's dope quote that you have in <laughs> our, uh, in our little uh, rundown cool here. So, so I'll, I'll, what's that? I said, I'm hip and cool with the youth. So I use lingo like dope. Uh, I mean, you got to, you got to, you got to keep with the times and Pete DeBoer is keeping with the times because he's speaking my language with this quote, even on the worst day here, he says, there's all the hockey you can watch and all the beer you can drink. I didn't realize that the uh, fridges were fully stocked in the bubble. I mean, it, it, it's lining Jeff Molson's pockets. I'm assuming if it's, if it's Canadian, then, then maybe that, that'll even help the Habs uh, lure more free agents too. But that's one, yeah, that's one thing that I didn't think of. I didn't even think hockey players ate carbs. So, I mean, good or, or drank carbs, I guess. So good for them. I mean, if, it, if it's the coaches, that I, sign, bring me into the bubble. I want to be there. All the hockey you can watch, all the beer you can drink. I don't need anything else. Yeah, and uh, uh, Kevin Shattenkirk, I think he was on TSN radio. He was saying that uh, when Tampa beat Columbus, they – they got like the lounge area in the in Hotel X. They had to rent it out. I guess they have to rent out party rooms there, just like a normal <laughs> condo living situation. Uh, but they went, got into the beers and, and enjoyed themselves after, you know, beating Columbus. So uh, I think it's pretty cool that these guys, especially the coaches, get to have some fun in there. I mean, there's a lot of time to kill Pete DeBoer getting into the beers. I'd like to get into the beers with Pete DeBoer. Just guys being dudes, you know? Guys just, being dudes. Yeah. Uh, okay, yeah, so we got, we got one more round here in Toronto mm -hmm. before everything switches to uh, Edmonton, which means that we only have, you know, potentially one game a day in each hub city and it's going to go, it's going to fly by fast. So before it gets to the point where, I mean, it's starting tonight, starting Saturday night, it will be Colorado and Dallas. So we got to get to our predictions and at least put something on the board because I think everything has moved too quickly for us to even, you know, plant our flags in the ground and side with any teams. Uh, I think we've had predictions here and there, but I want to go through the entire thing mm -hmm. so that we have at least, you know, some, some bragging rights or something on the line here. So let's start in the Eastern Conference. Give me your thoughts on Philly and the New York Islanders. Who's going to take the series? Uh, what's going to determine the outcome? Give me your, uh, give me the Coles notes on how you do that one. I think the Islanders are probably the worst opponent that Philly could have drawn in the second round just in yeah. terms of the way that they play hockey. I mean, the, the Islanders are essentially the, the Habs on steroids. They play, you know, a very structured game, obviously a very defensive game. They have high-end talent that I think, uh, um, you know, surpasses what Montreal's is. You know, they have guys like Barzal and Peugeot's having himself a playoffs and all that. Um, Anders Lee. And if Philly plays anywhere near as poorly as they did, against the Habs and they did play poorly, even though they won. I mean, they should have, they sh it should have been a pretty clean, clean exit when it came to playing, you know, one of the, one of the lowest seeded teams in the bubble and they still got pushed to uh, six games and it, 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 dropping game one, everything. If they, if they don't improve, then the Islanders could have, have a way with them. I have in five, um, but it really depends on, it, it depends on, I think the Islanders are going to win no matter what, how quickly it happens depends on Carter Hart because we saw even in that small sample size of six games, it's Jekyll and Hyde with him. He can either be one of the best goalies in the world or Carey Price 2.0 or whatever, or he can, he can be, you know, a detriment to the team. So it, it depends on which Carter Hart shows up. And he's a young goalie. I think that that inconsistency, inconsistency will be ironed out moving forward. But the Isles have, have the matchup advantage here, and I think that that's going to kind of carry them to victory. 
Yeah, I agree with you. I think the Habs are sort of Islanders light in a lot of respects because I think they do they do a lot of the same things. And what Montreal did frustrated Philly to a degree in which I don't think anyone really expected. So I think I am getting caught up again in the narratives which bit us on the mm-hmm. Carolina-Boston series because, yes, Philly, you know, the stock is low on them and it's incredibly high on the Islanders. Uh, but I just think they've got something going right now. So I'm going to take the Islanders in six games uh, I love how Pelican and Pollock have just like took an ownership of that back end that is yeah. just suffocating uh, Anthony Bovillier growing into this like dangerous player who's up at the high end of all the, off- uh, all the important offensive metrics in terms of like the scoring chances he's created for himself. Uh, and obviously his points per, you know, uh, minute being out on the ice. Like he, he is really emerging as a force in this, in these playoffs. And I think they have more to give. Uh, a guy like Matt Barzell, who's, do, you know, he's still a creative genius and he's not giving up anything from a defensive standpoint. I think the things are really happening right now for the Islanders. So I'm going to take mm-hmm. them in six. I'll lead with Tampa Bay and Boston. Uh, this should be the Eastern Conference final for me. Uh, not, not saying it is, not saying the winner of this series will definitely go through. Uh, but this is, you know, we've been waiting for this rematch, obviously. Uh, and I think Tampa Bay is in a better place, mm-hmm. even though they were able to get past Boston the last time, I believe. I think I'm uh, remembering that correctly. Anyway, I think Tampa is just in this great place. I don't know what the pros- I don't know the uh, the prognosis on Steven Stamkos where he is, uh, but I do worry about Boston because they just answered the bell so incredibly well against Carolina. Uh, it's a tough one. Um, I think it's going seven either way, and I-, I might just happiness hedge this one out and take Boston seven. I want to say Tampa really bad. I think this is a really even match team, uh, even match series. I think both these teams bring something different to the table that, that it's almost like, you know, an unstoppable force meets an immovable object in a sense, but something about Boston, like Boston is a hungry team. They're a play. They, they know they can, they're a playoff sort of comprised team. They made the cup final last year. And also I think losing in the cup final, it, it lit a fire under them. They came out and they were even better than the year before. And as much as I, like, I, I, everything in my body is saying, choose Tampa because I love the way they play hockey. I want them, I want this Tampa, Colorado um, Stanley Cup final that, that just, it, it, you know, sets the league on, on a new, you know, forward trajectory, uh, forward thinking trajectory, offensive minded, uh, you know, skill, all that kind of stuff. But I, I can't count out Boston in a playoff series. And both teams are relatively banged up too. So there's not even like one team is nursing more injuries than the other. It's Boston in seven, but it pains me to my core to say that. Okay, so we're on board for a Boston Islanders Eastern Conference final. Let's go to the Western oh, Conference, Colorado. Boring and- series in the world, no. Yeah, I mean it's 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 uh, yeah it's it's definitely not the preferred option, mm-hmm. but it might be the most likely option. Well, maybe not. Uh, you know, there's a lot of variables there, but that's at least how we view it. Colorado, <laughs> Dallas. How the we don't do odds on this show, but the mm-hmm. Vegas uh, odds makers. Uh, have this one as a runaway victory for the Colorado Avalanche. Like, it's not even close, and I disagree with that. I think this is That's not great. necessarily a 50-50 series, but Dallas, I think, can pose some problems for, for Colorado. <laughs> they have – Colorado has looked like a buzzsaw in this series, but, uh, I mean, Dallas uh, – uh, and Dallas just has so much firepower up front, but Colorado can answer, I think, everything that they do really well as well. So I, I'm going to side with Colorado in a series that's going to be – uh, a lot closer than people might expect. I'll probably still go six games, but this one could very easily go seven. I, I hate how we're we're aligning so much on this. We should we should have we should have you know planned this out before and 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 manufacture some of this drama because 
I think I had Colorado in, in six as well. The, what are the Vegas odds? I don't know what, what formula they do to, to, to put these odds together, but that's absurd. Colorado's a runaway? No, like this is, this is potentially the most even match series other than, obviously other than Boston and Tampa. That's, that's as even match as possible. But in terms of the Western Conference series, there's, a, there's definitely no way that, that either, either, either team is heavily favored. This is going to be an incredibly even match series. It's going to be fun. I think when we talk about teams that are um that are getting pushed against the wall that we want to see this will be the team that really tests the metal of Colorado and how real they are in in a postseason context um but yeah I think Colorado the, the skill the way they play the way that they push the pace that's you know that will that will carry them uh to victory here I think that they have you know the advantage in pretty much every category although it's not close um or sorry it is very close um so yeah I got Colorado in six as well but this will be fun those six games will be fun 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 I think it could play out really similar to what happened with St. Louis last year. Like they had a really diff difficult time getting past Dallas. They needed seven games. I believe they needed overtime in that game seven. Like it was a battle to get through this team. Uh, and uh, I think it'll be difficult again for Colorado. Uh, lastly, Vancouver, Vegas, we need, we, uh, you know, we, we might be completely aligned here because I, I think it would be a surprise if either of us for, went for Vancouver because Vegas just, just looked like a juggernaut through, through much of this. What they did to Chicago, I know it was Chicago, uh, but what they did from a shot perspective and just caving them in over and over and over again, just running downhill on that Chicago team was very impressive. Vancouver is better than Chicago, but are they at the level of, of the Vegas Golden Knights? I don't necessarily think they can get there. I think Vegas-Colorado is the dream matchup in the Western Conference Final, and I think ultimately we'll get there, uh, but it'll probably take six games. You think it'll take six? Because I, I initially had Vegas in five. Because I think I, I just – I love Vegas. I love the way that they're constructed. I love the moves that they've made as an organization where they had this incredible um, – this incredible prospect pool that they built through the expansion draft, and they parlayed that into these, you know, veteran pieces – while also keeping some of these guys that, that really made them a contender. I love the way, I love the way they're doing. I love, they, they have the deepest crease by far that's left. I think here they, with, with uh, Leonard and, and Fleur, you could go to either of those guys. And I think that they can win you a playoff series. Mark Stone, in a, he, he's terrific. I, I just, I love it. I love it all. And I think the Vancouver, it's a great story that they made it this far. I think they have some good top end talent. But in pretty much every aspect of the game, Vegas Vegas tops them. So barring a barring yeah, uh, Jacob Markstrom going on full, you know Dominic Hasek in his prime and and you know just dragging this team to the next round, I think Vegas is is, is going to win it pretty handily. I have them in five, but a part of me was just just for the comedy, going to go with Vancouver just just because if I if I win, I I could lord it over you for the rest of our podcasting days. You could. You definitely could have. That was your opportunity, but you missed it. And now we're just, you know, on even footing until exactly. the conference finals. Uh, it's going to be tremendous. Philly and New York. Yeah, that could be a bit of a drag at times. It, it's possible that that doesn't meet, uh, you know, the high bar that we've set here for these games so far in the playoffs. But Tampa, Boston, Colorado, Dallas, Vegas and Vancouver. They are going to be barn burners. It is going to be so much fun to watch these conference semifinals play out. And we're going to let them play out a little bit before we reconvene for the next podcast. We're going to have a lot to talk about, obviously, uh, with six monster teams and two underdogs that are in the mix. So uh, we'll leave it at that. It's going to be a lot of fun, and I and, uh, can't wait till our next chat. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.